I'm Joe White, the voice of Chris Redfield. When I'm not surviving the horror of the Spencer Mansion, I'm listening to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. This is Katie O'Hagan, the voice of Mia Winters, and when I'm not babysitting temperamental bioweapons, I'm listening to the Crimson Head Elder podcast. My name is Richard Wall. Just think of me as a ghost from the past. This is Paula Rhodes, Evelyn in Resident Evil 7 Biohazard. This is Michelle Ruff, the voice of Jill Valentine. I'm Riva DePala, the voice of Rebecca Chambers. Hi, my name is Allison Court. My name is Sarah Coates, the voice of Marguerite Baker, and you are listening to Crimson Head Elder Podcast. Wanna come to dinner? September 28th, daylight. The monsters have overtaken the city. Somehow, I'm still alive. Good afternoon, I'm George Trevor. I would like to welcome Crimson Head Elder and Project Umbrella listeners and of course the whole Resident Evil community over the world to this exclusive interview with our very special guest, voice actress for Jill Valentine in Resident Evil 3, Catherine Disher. Well, thank you very much. It's, uh, I'm very flattered that you asked me. I was trying to remember this. It was 1998. Yeah, because I'm trying to remember. I did X-Men the cartoon, and I did that before I had my son. I had my son in 93, and I was, I remember becoming pregnant while we were doing X-Men, and then I remember having him and having to bring him to X-Men records, and then, so we, I had done a couple of video games throughout that time because of my association with Marvel uh, doing uh, X-Men. I wonder at what stage we, we did the voices for it. It must have been before they did the animation. Um, I would imagine so, yes, yes. Yeah, so probably it was, we did it around maybe 98 or maybe early 99. But yeah, okay. and uh, cause I remember thinking at the time, oh, I'll have to get this for my son before <laughs> we start doing it. And then I realized as we were doing it how violent it was. And he was only like five minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, not going to happen. Okay, that's interesting. So it came as a bit of a surprise to you. How the, violent the, it was? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I recall... <laughs> Well, it's, it's funny because um, when you do these video games, and this was quite a lengthy process. I remember this because we were in the studio for days and days and days, and we had, well, I should preface this by saying, it was sort of interesting to me the way I, the way I got the part. What happened was, I guess the Japanese creators, Capcom, were dissatisfied with the actress who had played this character in Resident Evil 2, I guess. Jill Valentine was in Resident Evil 1 initially, and, and I'm pleased you mentioned that because I wasn't sure whether to bring that up, and, and it, that's, that's something that certainly a lot of the community members that contacted me about questions they wanted me to ask you, was whether you were aware why and under what circumstances you, you, know, you were given this role over the previous actress. Yeah, I was told that they they liked her voice, the tenor of her voice, but they didn't like her performance. And they they thought they, so they would like someone with a, so what we did, they were looking for a voice match, essentially. And I do a lot of voice work. I do a lot of cartoons as well as, you know, on camera stuff. But Mm. I went in like everybody else and and they gave me a, you know, a recording of her voice and um, I matched it. But what they were looking for was a better performance. And I think this woman had been, I think they recorded it in Japan, I, I think. I'm not sure about that, 100% sure. So that's really why I got the role, is because I could sound like her. And I never actually heard her entire performance. But what made me laugh was that, you know, when we were doing the damage, at, at the end of a video game, they usually wait till the end of it to do the um, what they call the damage. You probably already know this. It's all the, the, the screaming and the, the death. Okay, no, I wasn't aware of that. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, because you can you can blow your voice screaming and <laughs> of course, yeah. runs, right? And so you end up doing this sort of couple of days. I think it was a couple of okay. days. So of, no, no, so no appreciation at all of, of the work that you might have after Resident Evil Three, but just make yeah. sure you don't damage it. Yeah. Well, you know, it's I can do it. I, I can sort of 
space in the morning sometimes and regain it in the afternoon if I'm doing something crazy. But uh, this was like days of it, as I recall, at least two days of just damage. And you literally sit there and you go through the, the, the every piece that they need and they'll say, okay, in this, you're ripping the arm off a zombie <laughs> and the impact grunt is you hitting the zombie with the severed arm. And so you, yeah. you know, you're, oh, oh, and you have to be <laughs> skin row, you know, yeah. medium long and... And then, you know, this time you're dying. And because in a video game, as you know, there are all these different choices. Yes. And you can die in all kinds of different ways and kill people in all kinds of different ways and fight in all kinds of different yeah. ways. If they need specific impact grunts or, you know, dying noises. <laughs> as you were just describing the damage process at the end, I, I just suddenly pictured and, and had an appreciation more than I never really have had of all the things that were thrown at poor Jill during that game. So yeah, yeah. I, I can imagine there, there would have been quite a lot of screaming involved and required. The funny thing to me, this is another, I clearly remember this, there were um, three or four guys from Japan who did not speak English in the room at all times, and they were on their laptops, they were, I guess, the game creators and the writer, and they had a translator there, yes. and then we had our voice director, and it was quite a crowded, uh, behind the glass, it, was, it looked quite crowded. I was very aware when we got to the damage, because they also asked for fighting noises. And I was sort of very aware that I didn't want to come off sounding as though I were doing some bad martial arts impressions in front of these Japanese guys. <laughs> so I, I didn't want to go, hi-ya! You know, yeah. so I, I was tying myself in knots trying to figure out noises that I could make that didn't sound like I was making fun of the whole genre. And, yeah. uh, so, and they were shaking their heads and the translator would say, you know, more like this. And, okay. and so finally I said, well, I kind of gestured and said, well, you, you know, may, in a nice way, I didn't sort of yeah. say, well, you show me how <laughs> I was, you, please give me a hint. Yeah. And so one by one, they went down the line and they all did classic martial arts. You know, because uh, I'd said to the voice director privately, you know, I'm a bit worried about this. And when we looked at each other and just kind of laughed. So then I, I realized, okay, that's what they want. It was embarrassing at first. And I, I got over it once I realized that is what they wanted. Who are we to, to argue? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so um, were you familiar with the Resident Evil series before you were offered the role? No, not at all. I mean, I my, my only, as I said, my, my sort of a whole entree into this world was through playing Jean Grey in the first X-Men cartoon. Yeah. And I did a couple of video games. I guess they were both X-Men related. Mm. Um, so no, I had no idea. And, and honestly, I kind of looked at it from a cartoon standpoint. I didn't play it like a cartoon, but I mean, X-Men was a very realistic cartoon. Yeah. So yeah. when Resident Evil came along, I just kind of... And I, I used to do a lot of radio when, when the, the, the Canadian Broadcasting Company, the CBC here... You guys still have it. BBC, I believe, still does radio drama, but we did quite a yeah. bit of it here, and, and so did I. So I was used to that kind of grown-up drama, you know. It was not Peking voices. It was, it, was, uh, it was much more sort of naturalistic, and so I was used to that. Okay, and yeah. That's X-Men ones, too. Now, in consideration of your many and, and varied roles before and after Jill, how much fondness did you have for the character whilst recording... Have you been aware since of the snowballing affection that the Resident Evil community has for her portrayal by you? No, no, I actually had no idea. And, and again, I guess, is it just on PlayStation? Many of us who have to spend their money on Resident Evil collections <laughs> know full well that they span various consoles. I mean, Resident Evil 3, that you were very much part of, initially was, was a PlayStation game, but it was ported to the GameCube and you can get PC version of it as well. But um, not Xbox. 
No, not on Xbox. No, unfortunately. What we're hoping for, what they what they have recently done on Xbox and PlayStation Three, is HD versions of old Resident Evil games. So we currently have HD versions of Resident Evil Four, Code Veronica X, which was a Resident Evil game, just not that long after Resident Evil Three. There's hope there that it would be remade in HD for one of those consoles. That's actually what I wanted to explore. Was there can often be a significant disparity between the fondness for a character that us fans may have and the fondness that the actor playing the role. And I must tell you that the Project Umbrella podcast that we do, which recently featured Resident Evil 3 as its main discussion, the entire panel of podcasters voted Resident Evil 3 as by far their favourite game of the series. Well, now, were all of your panellists from the UK? No, I mean, that's one of the good things about the community and, and the many people that are going to be very excited and appreciative of the time that you're giving us are across the world. We have huge, very active websites that cater for the Spanish-speaking community in Spain and in South America. There are many across Europe and the United States as well. Nationalities of the staff of Project Umbrella and my site, Crimson Head Elder, are across the United States, England, South America, Ireland. So it's, it's a very varied community. Well, the reason I ask is that I, I had read a little bit about it before I uh, talked to you, and, and it did say that Resident Evil 3 did not sell as well worldwide, for instance, as Resident Evil 2, but that Resident Evil 3 sold very well in the UK. It was a very popular game in the UK. So yeah. that's why I was wondering if it was a sort of a UK phenomenon. Perhaps in sales initially but certainly not in terms of looking back and the fondness and the demand for the game now and the playability and those that replay the game resident evil 2 broke the mold for survival horror and right. i think it's always going to be the case with it with a following you know in, in film and other genres it's always going to be very hard when you, you know your predecessor has, has made such waves yeah, no, that's the, what is it? It's one of the hundred top-selling games of yes. all time, Resident Evil 2. Right? Yes, 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 it is. Jill Valentine was not in Resident Evil 2, just Resident Evil 1. That's correct, yes. With Resident Evil 3, they would have wanted to have had a connection with a previous Resident Evil game. Jill, at the time and to date, is, is by far and away one of the most popular and beloved characters. Oh, I see, okay. Yeah. I was fond of it on a, you know, on several levels. One was because it was, uh, you know, a well-paying gig because it was a much longer, you know, gig doing yeah. the entire video game from start to finish. And I was actually fascinated by the process. And I have to tell you, though, it's a very tedious process because, as you know, every time you make a choice in a game, it sends the plot off on a different tangent. Mm. And so, but it's just slightly different. So when you're dealing with the script, it was very hard to keep, you know, everything in my mind, uh, keep it straight. It was a lot of repetition with just a slight, slight change, you know, in yes. the line. Yeah. So in that respect, and we're talking about, you know, eight hours a day in a studio for days and days and days. And, mm. and it was, um, so in that respect, it was a bit tedious, but it was mm. a very interesting process for me. And of course, when they bring in a new character, like there'd be another who would come in, mostly guys, and kind of yeah. be there for the whole day doing our plot lines. And then the next day it would be somebody yeah. else. But yeah, I, I recall there was one guy who was there, um, you know, put it down to me having a five-year-old at the time. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was, I was very fond of it. It was a yeah. very, very interesting process. And, and the yeah. fact that the Japanese creators were there. And yes, I'm interested about their presence, actually, because you mentioned the developers in the room from Capcom. And we were talking as well about the huge success that Resident Evil 2 had achieved. I was wondering, during your recordings, were you in any way aware of a significant pressure on these developers and on the production team to maintain these extremely high standards that were scaled with previous two Resident Evil? titles? I have to say, uh, 
No, I, I kind of knew it was a bit of a big deal. I mean, the, the game itself. Yeah. But uh, there was a, it was impossible to speak to them directly because they didn't speak English. So they had a translator in the room. Mm. And like I said, there were three three guys, I think, there with their laptops and then a translator. It might have been more. And, and then a sort of a small crowd of people from the Canadian side and voice directors and stuff and yeah. engineers. And uh, But no, we, we had very little direct conversation because they literally did not speak English. Okay. As far as I could tell. So often their comments, it was a laborious process in that sense because they would, if someone had a comment and they would talk amongst themselves and they'd talk to the translator and the translator would talk to us and, and if it wasn't clear, we had to kind of back and forth and back and forth. So, uh, no, I wasn't totally aware uh, that it was how big a deal at the time it was. And like I said, because I'm not a gamer, I was kind of blissfully unaware of any any pressure. I just, for me, it was just about playing a character and trying to be as realistic as possible. And uh, with all the repetition and all the, yeah. you know, well, you had a lucky escape in a sense because we were talking about the difference in initial sales between Resident Evil 2 and 3. And I think one of the things that didn't do 3 any justice at all. In Resident Evil 2, you could play through the game as two different characters and in two different combinations. So both characters had two different routes through Raccoon City Police Department. What, what about Resident Evil 3? Well, of- um, this is what I loved about Resident Evil 3 in terms of gameplay. You're, you're going back to one of the most iconic buildings in the series yeah because part of it took place before whatever happened happened yeah absolutely correct yes yes it's, well, 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 I do remember that yeah. <laughs> up to the point where your character Jill is infected and right. um, then she passes out and Carlos goes off to the hospital to get an antidote but at the point that, that Jill passes out that evening the next morning is, is when Resident Evil 2 takes place cool. I see okay one of the developers wanted to call Resident Evil 3 Resident Evil 1.9 Yes, in fact, wasn't it uh, in Japan, was it, wasn't it released as that at first? I don't think so. I certainly wouldn't argue the point with you, but I, I'm not aware of that. At the very least, I'm certainly aware it was on the table at some point. I do remember that. I remember there was um, some controversy about that. And that's and that also brought home to me why they actually needed a voice match, because you would think each game stood alone. Mm. And if Resident Evil 2 came between Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 3, then perhaps people wouldn't have noticed that a different voice was playing in Resident Evil 3, but they wanted Jill they wanted there to be a continuity obviously of sound just because of what you said that they knew that people who were real fans are going to go back and play it maybe in chronological you know yeah. story-wise in chronological order <laughs> that brings me on to my next question because i wanted to know to what extent and degree if any did, did you feel it necessary to familiarize yourself with jill's portrayal in resident evil one uh, not so much because what you do when you're in the booth, when you're in the in the recording studio, they always have. If you're doing a voice match, they always have a copy, you know, snippets of the voice. And if you need to hear it, like every once in a while, I might say, you know, I need to hear a, I need to hear her voice. Mm-hmm. If I feel that I'm straying too far away from the parameters of that first voice, and they'll play it in my ear. So okay. then I, I kind of, and I remember there were two or three phrases, and I forget what they are now, but that the, they would play for me when I needed to be reminded of uh, the quality of her voice. Okay, okay. I have to say what you came out with was fantastic and and really, I thought, matched the character, particularly the difference in terms of where Jill was previously in this very claustrophobic mansion, but now I feel that she needed to have a a more fully rounded voice character for these the the more expansive streets and and the greater demands of Raccoon City. Well, to be honest, you know, I probably strayed from her voice quite a bit. That always happens when you're doing a voice match. You kind of start out trying to be an exact match. 
And after a while, because the person whose voice you're matching was not in the same circumstances, yeah. uh, it does tend to, um, it wasn't an exact match. They just wanted to be in the, in the realm of, so that it didn't sound like a completely different person. Um, and I don't know, you know, honestly, because I never listened to them side by side, I have no idea yeah. whether, uh, how close I ended up sounding all the way through. But it was always in the back of their mind to kind of remind me about the, it's more about tone, I guess. Mm. In retrospect, would, would you change in any way any aspects of Jill's character as you portrayed her? Because you're doing it line by line, it's not like I can get in there like a radio play and mm. do, a, do a cohesive performance. You're really doing it line by line. They literally say, okay, you know, you get to the next cue and it's, um, they describe the circumstances and what's going on. And you do, you know, one, two, three, I don't know, you know, as many takes as, as needed for it. And their job being to keep in mind the visuals of the game and the continuity of the character yeah. so they can direct you. And so it's, it's a very disjointed process. It's not a, uh, it's not a flowing characterization or a, um, it's not like doing a radio play. So it's, it's very piecemeal. And cartoons, in general, are kind of like that, but not. Because in cartoons, you'll do a pass at a scene. You might be alone in a studio, and occasionally, if I'm in a cartoon, I'll get the, uh, the voice director to read one of the other characters, the cue lines for me, to get a sense of flow. Okay. But in essence, you're, you're by yourself, but you're reading a whole scene at a time. And in the video game, what I remember, it wasn't necessarily like that. There might have been little stretches where I got to do two or three lines at a time yeah. uh, to give a sense of continuity, but a lot of the time it was... Um, it was quite disjointed. So in terms of performance, it's really difficult for me to tell. And because mm. I never played the game or heard it in its entirety, okay. um, I have I have really no idea. So if it hangs together, uh, yeah. it's I'd like to take credit for it, but I probably can't. <laughs> so the, no curiosity at all to play through it yourself, at least just the once? <laughs> I did actually. I mean, I'm terrible at video games. I just get stuck <laughs> in the corner. My son keeps trying and, and he's like, jump over the wall. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we've got to get out of here. What? What do you think you're talking about? I just lost my daughter out there. How dare you tell me to go back outside? I'm sorry about your daughter, but there isn't going to be any rescue. We have to get out of here. No! I'm not going anywhere. I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters. Now leave me alone! What would you say was the most demanding aspect of the role and how did you overcome that? Well, I think it's the length of time that you're standing there. You're yeah. literally in the studio for, I was there all day, okay. every day. And they would just bring other people in as other characters came in and out. And it, it's an exhausting process. And just to keep your concentration and to keep interested in the whole process. Yeah. There's lots of pauses. So, you know, you do your do this cue and you do three lines and then the writers all have a discussion and then other people do and they come back and they say, let's do uh, another take. We want it more this way. So it's really about stamina, to be honest. It's about keeping your concentration for hours and hours at a time, standing in a windowless studio and, and trying to remember the story because it, it every little you know at this point someone's made this choice and so now this happens and it, it became it becomes incredibly confusing when you're recording it all at once mm. so i would say just pure stamina <laughs> <laughs> okay well i mean something else that i i thought you met, might mention many of the the voice actors and actresses particularly during the earlier resident evil years so one two and three would have had to have contended with an almost b-movie-esque script and narrative were you aware of that sort of extent that kind of b-movie style was that discussed by the production team that directed you and if so, were you concerned that that would detrimentally affect the integrity of the character? 
it felt like just all part of the genre. I mean, it yeah. is. A, it feels like a horror movie when you're doing it. Yeah. You're, you're literally, and like I said, you know, and in this scene, you're ripping the arm off a zombie and beating him to death with it. You know, <laughs> yeah. so you you have to kind of go with the flow. And, but yeah. you're right. You yeah. do sort of fall into a genre, and and it's partly the writing and and again the direction. You know, it's. Uh, like I like I said about the uh, the damage noises, the uh, the fighting noises. When I was trying so desperately not to sound like I was in a Japanese martial arts movie, uh, <laughs> and in fact that's exactly what they wanted. And and I had had that experience previously with the with the X Men video games. And it's funny I did hear those ones because I was at an arcade once with my son, and he was like, "Look, that's you." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh my god, it's true." Some fighting game, Capcom. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, it, it definitely. The, oh, are, Capcom versus Marvel, the the fighting game, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that that was one of them. Yeah, yeah, it is a B movie script, and you kind of go with it. You yeah. have to. I, yeah. I I do remember they had a picture because generally, when you're doing voice acting and and you don't, uh, especially in cartoons or stuff like this, when you don't actually have a visual, um, you ask for the drawings, and so I did see drawings of her, and I was sort of appalled to see that I think she wasn't she in like short or a mini skirt and a tank. Yeah, yeah, I mean you're absolutely right, and we have suggested how is that a, a, a uniform befitting you know a, a girl that's in a zombie apocalypse trying to escape out the city. <laughs> yeah, really, how inappropriate! I know. Yeah. And so I was thinking at the time, but I had just done like I said, I did this Marvel cartoon, and it was about Amazons, and it wasn't until they <laughs> we didn't really get what we looked like until they yeah. brought um, these big cutouts. Uh, they were, I think we were posing them or something, and we realized that these women are dressed in almost nothing <laughs> with sort of a jewel covering, you know, oh, various yeah. parts. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> so you were kind of prepared in a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I recognize, but I was still even shocked to see, you know, how little she was wearing and, and yeah running around and I yeah. thought that well was sort of... I mean believe me it gets a lot worse some of the more recent Resident Evil particularly game Resident Evil Revelations comes to mind <laughs> I know and, and why aren't they just naked you know they're gonna yeah. run around tank top and, and uh, just half <laughs> naked running around killing each other yeah that was quite modest compared to how bad it gets yeah Jill got off quite lightly actually um, <laughs> Richard Wall, who's the voice actor for Albert Wesker he stated in, in past interviews that literal translating of the original Japanese scripts, the result of that was some quite strange sounding sentences that... that oh, that, yeah, that, yeah. Oh, Rick, I forgot. Rick Wall was in it. That's right. I was going to ask, did, did, did you come up against any original script translation issues of that nature at all? You know, I'm sure I did, but um, I'm kind of used to that. Mm. Uh, so I probably, you know, what happens is you just get to a sentence and go, hey, guys, this doesn't make sense. Yeah. And everybody confabs and you kind of, you know, you put your two cents in. I mean, it is quite collaborative trying to figure out, you know, what they mean and yeah, the writers you. are right there. And so then we kind of say, no, actually, you don't say that. And this is how you would say yeah. it. And and so, yeah, that, that went on. And I didn't really, um, by the way, I love Rick. Rick is a fabulous guy, Rick Waugh. Oh, yeah. But yeah, no, he's a great guy. And I forgot, I forgot uh, that he was in it. But yeah, that happens a lot. It happens a lot. When does it happen? Why did Sailor Moon, for instance? And yeah. All these cartoons. I've done a ton of cartoons where it's a Russian cartoon that you're oh, okay. translated and you're you're dubbing it, and and so it happens a lot in dubbing. So I, I wasn't um, that doesn't phase me very much. And yeah. uh, uh, even in you know even in English cartoons, there comes a point where you go, hey, wait, guys, you know this didn't seem grammatically mm -hmm. correct, mm -hmm. and they go, oh right, okay, what would it be? Yeah, sure, okay, say that. 
a lot of the project Umbrella and Crimson Head Elder follows will be interested by the presence of the translators there because Project Umbrella has been in the process of translating all the original Japanese files from, from the games. And what we've found on quite worryingly frequent occasions, the localizations that, that we got in Europe and the English translations are, are alarmingly poor. So that's why I was, I was interested by the presence that when you were doing it, that, there were, that, that Capcom had their own translators there at the time. Well, they, they had a translator for the, uh, the Capcom guys who were there working. Yeah. And I, I understood at the time that one of them was the writer of the game, one of the guys who didn't speak English. Okay. Uh, I don't know who did the actual translation into English. So what, yeah. what we had in the room was the Japanese writer, I believe, yeah. and a couple of other guys. And they were on their laptops all the time. And then so when we had a problem with the translation... You know, we would talk to them about it because they were right in the room. And they were sort of, you know, whatever you need to make it work for the English audience. It all began as an ordinary day in September. An ordinary day in Raccoon City. A city controlled by Umbrella. No one dared to oppose them. And that lack of strength would ultimately lead to their destruction. I suppose they had to suffer the consequences of their actions, but there would be no forgiveness. If only they had had the courage to fight. It's true that once the wheels of justice begin to turn, nothing can stop them. Nothing. It was Raccoon City's last chance, and my last chance. My last escape. theater background and I did too you know, a mm. long time ago but he would be uh, he probably works on I've worked on so much crappy TV over the years and I've rewritten <laughs> so much as I as I do it that that wouldn't even have phased me at the time I would have yeah. expected that yeah okay okay now, I mean this might be a slightly unfair question to ask but and this goes back to the the, the the fandom appreciation of a character and obviously this is just one small thing in a, in a whole broad range of work that you do since your, your, your time recording Jill do any particular lines of her dialogue still resonate with you at all or did you have a particular favorite line at the time I just remember saying the word stars constantly <laughs> uh, and, and that was uh, it was like I said it was very repetitive and um, I have to say probably no um, <laughs> Uh, I, I remember more, you know, action, like I said, tearing the arm off a zombie and beating someone to death with it. Uh, yeah. I, I don't, I, you yeah. know, and I, um, that's not unusual for me, though, not to remember mm. specific lines. Mm -hmm. But no, I'm sorry, I'm disappointing people. I, I actually, no, no. why, is there a line that has become sort of uh, synonymous with Jill? You've got off quite lightly there, because if there was, I think it would be quite B-movie-esque and, and would sort of <laughs> almost diminish the integrity of the character. No, not, not at all. What resonates with the community is very much the, the, the struggle and that it was one woman alone and she didn't just... Yeah, 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 yes, and I think the males amongst her were almost were pretty useless and she very much took the lead. They kept dying, didn't they? Yeah, there was a whole conspiracy going on as well, which you know, which did, didn't do them any good. People backstabbing each other, you know, so it wasn't just the zombies that, that people had to contend with. Right. Um, what would you say? What was your overall experience? You were able to take from this very sort of specialized type of project. You know, I learned so much technically because, um, as I said, the other the other video game ventures that I had done had been more uh, uh, they'd been shorter and. Uh, less uh, less elaborate and so yeah. to see this whole process and to be 
the character that is there from start to finish. Yeah. I, I really gained sort of an appreciation of, of the, the complicated nature of just the story uh, editing and the story writing and these things. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I think that really has served Resident Evil well and, and why we're, we're still talking about it now is the fact that the, the story was very rich and whether people liked the the, the, the progression the series took or the direction the story took, it was a very rich and, and, and very sort of almost enveloping scenario. Yeah. And my... My poor son, when he was really young, because, you know, he knew that I was Jean Grey and X-Men, and yeah. he would go to comic book stores sometimes, and he would sort of blurt out, and his dad was Professor X in the cartoon as well. Okay. So uh, we would go to comic book stores and stuff, and he would go and tell people, my dad is, you know, <laughs> Professor X, my mom is Jean Grey, and these poor guys behind the counter would get all, you know, sloppy and go, oh my god. Yeah. So, Resident Evil came out, he would tell people that I was Resident Evil, and yeah. that was a big thrill for him. Oh yeah, well, I mean, it's something to be very proud of. Um, that brings me on to my last question I wanted to ask. From what you took, would you have liked to have had the opportunity to voice Jill in, in, in her further instalments? With a lot of these, um, these video games and these cartoons, they can really record them anywhere. I mean, Canada, because the reason we have a lot of very uh, skilled voice actors is because yeah. we have a company called Nelvana, which was a pioneer in creating cartoons. Yeah. So a lot of the cartoons, you know, people don't even know, they don't even realize that they're watching cartoons that are made in Canada. A lot of the, you know, Arthur and Franklin and Babar and all those yeah. really polioli and a lot of cartoons that everybody's kids watch, they have no idea that they all are generated here in Toronto. That's probably, you know, why they came for those video games early yeah. on. And we still have a very, you know, Ubisoft has just opened a big uh, office here in Toronto, yeah. but I don't know whether they actually even recorded the subsequent games in Canada or not. They might have gone somewhere else. What actors know uh, is that we are completely dispensable to people who uh, who make a lot of entertainment products. Yeah. So there's a sense of, well, we don't need a continuity and, and we don't need that actor. And, and if you say, oh, no, you have to pay me more, there's always, they know that there are 10 people lined up behind you who are going to play the part. So we're up against that all the time. Sort of, we all know that we are we are all eminently dispensable. Yeah. So while it might be important for people watching the game, or you know, the producers of it don't really care mm. about continuity. Just it's just you know, it's sort of a sad fact. Yeah. Of, yeah. Well, I mean, that's one of the things. I mean, a lot of the the hardcore of Resident Evil gamers amongst us who were brought up on the earlier games, one of the things that, that's always drawn upon is the fact is the continuity and the fact that the, the stories for Resident Evil, each time that the developers, it, it's put in, into different hands. So right. there's never been this sort of consistent team of, 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 of loving, you know, a, a father who first created this, this game, Mikami, initially. Too many cooks, if it were. Uh, and it's, yeah. been, it's been passed to too many. And I think it's lacked that continuity and it's affected the game uh, in the process. Yeah, and, and they should know that. You know, I mean, it's it's true of so many things, isn't it? You know, when they mm. just think, oh, that's not important. Uh, you know, I want to put my two cents in, the producers or whoever gets the, the project for the subsequent uh, sort of the evolution of it. And, yeah. and they don't seem to think about what people actually want. Or yeah. I feel that way in TV as well. It's like, oh, no, we're going to throw all that out and start fresh. It's like, mm. okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it is a shame, it is a shame. But then, you know, keeping those games alive still from the past, we, we have this, you know, this community. And, and I mean, that brings me on to why I wanted to thank you. Catherine, you, you brought to life one of Resident Evil's most beloved and adored characters, one of the most iconic and dynamic characters that there is in the series. When many of our community take an in-depth retrospective look back over Resident Evil's 17-year reign, Jill Valentine is by far one of the most prominent in their minds of human 
tragedy and endeavor and then with jill the victorious survival so thank you, you know, very very much for taking the time to speak to us and for bringing that character alive well my pleasure i had absolutely no idea that um honestly that uh that it stood out it's uh that's really interesting to know and i i like i said i, I can't take complete credit for it um i i don't know uh it wasn't like a performance from beginning to end for me but i i had a really good time doing it and it was a very it was a fascinating experience so uh i appreciate that it's it, i'm glad it worked out well i guess is what yeah. i'm trying to say i'm glad people liked it because oh, yeah. you know you guys are the audience and if mm. they liked it that's the important thing september 28th daylight i'm still alive can you see that area behind me beneath the red tinted sky? That is what's left of Raccoon City. Our platoon is cut off. No survivors found. I'd rather starve to death in here than be eaten by one of those undead monsters. We're both gonna die. Wait, don't shoot! Down! I lost all my men because of her! <laughs> 